This is Anchored in Christ, the sermon podcast that gives you hope in the gospel as an anchor for your soul. Brought to you from Old South Presbyterian Church in Newburyport, Massachusetts. Good morning, church. Good morning. Our second reading this morning comes from Matthew 5, 1 and 2. Last week we had the wonderful opportunity of celebrating Easter outside, and it is so good to be with you once again in person. And whether you are in person or joining us online, welcome. The Spirit unites us as one body wherever we find ourselves this morning. Last week we celebrated Easter, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Romans 6, 4 says, Therefore we have been buried with him through baptism into death, So that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. And in light of Easter and the new life that we have been given in Christ, we ask the question, what does it look like to be a follower of Jesus, to walk in newness of life? And how can we make this good life real today? This week marks the start of a new sermon series for us. The Sermon on the Mount uh, is a sermon that Jesus gave, and it's recorded for us in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. Please join me in reading Matthew 5, verses 1 and 2, followed by chapter 7, verses 24 through 29. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. Therefore, oh, excuse me, and then jumping over to chapter 7, verse 24, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall, because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, And the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Verse 28. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, because he taught as one who had authority, and not as teachers of their law. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. At the beginning of Matthew 5, we see Jesus going up on the mountain with the crowds and his disciples, and he sits down to teach them. The crowds have begun following him because he has been teaching and preaching through the region of the Sea of Galilee and healing the sick. And the crowds have begun following him because they're interested in what he has to say. And Jesus at this point has called four of his disciples, Simon, who we know as Peter, and his brother Andrew, and another set of brothers, James and John. But we know from this passage that others have joined in being disciples of Jesus, but we also see that there are those in the crowds as well. And so one of the questions I want you to ask yourself this morning as we look at this text is, am I a member of the crowd listening to Jesus from a distance, trying to figure out if this is something I'm interested in? Or are you a disciple who is sitting at the feet of Jesus? So Jesus ascends the mountain, and he sits down, and he begins to teach them what we now consider the Sermon on the Mount. And the first thing that we learn from this opening verse is, as followers of Jesus, we sit at the feet of Jesus because he is our great teacher. 
We all have our favorite preachers and teachers. Uh, one of my favorites is actually the um, Calvin University chaplain, Dr. Mary Hulse. She has this powerful way of, uh, a unique way of combining clarity with piercing truth. And I could listen to her preach sermons all day. One of my favorite teaching moments, though, is in a movie called The Karate Kid, which I'm sure a number of you have seen that. And in this movie, the young man named Daniel desires to learn karate, and so he goes to Mr. Miyagi for him to teach him. And Mr. Miyagi agrees to teach him under one condition, that Daniel listens to what he says and he doesn't question his methods. <coughs> So Daniel shows up the next day ready to learn, eager to learn, and to his chagrin, Mr. Miyagi has him paint a fence. And Miyagi demonstrates the precise motion for the job. He's take the paintbrush and go up and down, up and down. And Daniel takes days to finish the job. And next, Miyagi has him scrub the deck using a prescribed stroke. And again, the job takes days. Daniel wonders, what does this have to do with karate? But he says nothing. Next, Miyagi tells Daniel to wash and wax three weather-beaten cars and again prescribes the motion. And finally, Daniel reaches his limit. I thought you were going to teach me karate, but all you have done is have me do your unwanted chores. I'm sure that for us in this room, we've all had our favorite teachers and our least favorite teachers growing up, or maybe in your life it was a coach and you were just waiting on the edge of your seat to hear the next game plan. And as wonderful as these people are in our lives and how impactful they have been, can you imagine being one of the disciples who got to sit at the feet of Jesus as he preached this sermon? Can you imagine sitting in a church service where Jesus is the speaker? I bet if Jesus were up here in the resurrected body this morning, speaking right now, you may be less likely to be thinking of your plans after church, perhaps even what you're going to have for lunch. And if you're like me, you've often wanted to ask the Lord various questions, some silly questions, some more serious. For me, I repeatedly ask the question, what is God's will for my life? Have you ever asked that question? What is God's will for my life? In this text, in these three chapters, Jesus lays out exactly what he expects of his followers. Jesus begins teaching the disciples and those who are committed to him. Jesus is our great teacher, and we are called to be his students. So how? How can we be his students today? And one practical way is by being in the word, by being in scripture. The Bible is the word of God, and Jesus is the word of God incarnate. And in order to be students of the great teacher, we need to be listening to his voice. Both as we go through this sermon series, but also being in the word consistently, daily, hearing what he has to say. As we jump to the end of this sermon, series, or sermon on the Mount, um, at the end of chapter 7, we see the last two verses summarize the crowd's reaction. Matthew says when Jesus finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed. They were astonished at his teaching. 
Now, there were many teachers of the law during this day. We have the scribes and the Pharisees listed in Scripture, but we know that there were, there were so many. And it was a common practice to be under one rabbi, one teacher. And so if this was a common practice to regularly listen to teachers and preachers all the time, why were the crowds astonished at this teaching? Why this teaching? And why this teacher? What was it about Jesus' teaching that surprised them? The crowds were astonished because Jesus was teaching a new way of living. We live in this broken, sinful, fallen world. And our actions often end up hurting ourselves more than benefiting us. In this upside-down and confusing world, we are lost and desperate for any kind of insight on how to live the good life. And Jesus gives us clear instructions on what living the good life looks like in the kingdom of God. There was this woman who was flying a a fighter jet in the deserts of Arizona. She had been through rigorous training, and she had great skill. But one day as she was flying, she decided to ascend quickly. So she pulled back fast on the throttle. And as she pulled back, the plane ended up plummeting to the ground. And she ended up dying from this event. Why? This woman had been flying for so long throughout the day, she didn't even realize at the time that she had been flying upside down. So when she pulled up on the throttle, she ended up plummeting into the ground. Humanity, in all of its brokenness and sinfulness, is flying upside down. We are flying upside down, contrary to how we have been designed to live. We know there's something wrong, but we can't quite figure out how to fix it. And so in an attempt to fix what we know is wrong, we chase after ways of fixing ourselves and our circumstances. We think if we can be happy, then our world will feel right. If we can get a little bit more money, then we'll feel secure. If we can gain just a little bit more popularity, then we'll be satisfied in this world of regrets. In this sermon, Jesus comes along and he flips the plane upright. As those who follow Jesus, he has turned us right side up in a confusing world where everyone else is living upside down. He begins teaching this new way of living that requires our hearts to submit to him and our desires to submit to the lordship of Jesus rather than the lordship of this world. And he reorients our values to value what God values, not what the values of this world are. And so Jesus offers those listening to him in the crowds the opportunity to change their citizenship from the kingdom of the world into the kingdom of God. Jesus pierces through the noise of the teaching of the day and offers something new, something astonishing, something amazing. And he's teaching that true satisfaction comes from a heart seeking God and his kingdom purposes. This new way of living flows out of our heart's transformation as we encounter the living Jesus Christ. So 
what are some of the themes that we're going to go through throughout this sermon series? Some of them are the way that we're supposed to live in this kingdom is not through retaliation, but through loving our enemies. He teaches we don't exploit the vulnerable, but we give generously to the needy. We don't treat others with hate or manipulation, but we treat them how we want to be treated. But I want to be clear, Jesus is not teaching behavior modification. He's teaching heart transformation. As we are reoriented in this upside-down world, our thoughts are brought under the dominion of Christ. And as our thoughts are transformed, it seeps down into our heart and our desires are changed. And as our desires change, our actions flow out of that. Thoughts change into desires and desires change into actions. And as followers of Christ, we have come to realize that Jesus is Lord and his way is good for us and leads to life. The plane has been flipped right side up. And Jesus teaches us what he expects of us as we live this new life in Christ. We're going to discover that Jesus' teaching changes our desires. And the more we sit at his feet learning from him, the more our desires are transformed to align with his desires for us. And from that, our actions will follow. This is the heart of Jesus' sermon. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. From the heart, the tree bears good or bad fruit. The crowds were astonished at his teaching because he was teaching a new way of living. And this new way of living begins with heart transformation. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can live this good life today. The life that Christ is calling us to is not easy. In fact, it often seems impossible. But through the power of the Spirit, we have been freed from the curse of sin and death. And we have been empowered to live the righteous life that we have been called to. We have been freed to live life abundantly. And so what does that abundant life look like? This sermon. This sermon that Jesus gives. The Lord is shifting our way of thinking and then feeling and then acting. The kingdom of God is different than the kingdom of this world. The way to be successful is completely different. In this world, people are chasing after happiness, fame, wealth, security, and in the process, we end up exploiting others, harming ourselves, perpetuating sin, hating our neighbors, stepping on others to get ahead, pretending to be someone we're not, and ultimately isolating ourselves from the God who created us. We act in a certain way to gain the approval of others. But 1 Samuel 16:7 says, people look at the outward appearance but the Lord looks to the heart. The kingdom of God functions completely different than the kingdom of this world. To give yourself away, to give to the poor, putting someone else above yourself is the way to gain wealth in the kingdom of God. The way of God is not through outward acts of religion like the Pharisees who were praying aloud on the street corners or who were dropping their coins in the plate as loud as they could, but it's in the quiet purity of the heart. 
The way to be successful in the kingdom is through sacrifice. While the world says, get out of my way, you're not good enough, I'm better than you, the kingdom of God says, when you ask for my shirt, I'm also going to give you my coat. Let me serve you. Let me feed you. Let me give of myself. So as people who have been brought into this new kingdom, we are citizens of the kingdom of God. And we get to conduct ourselves as citizens. Think for a second about Jesus setting up his kingdom here on earth. And let's pretend for a moment that this sermon on the mount is a form of a constitution or the law of the land for how the citizens are to act. Jesus is setting up a new kingdom. But it's not a kingdom like any in this world. He's not teaching this sermon to the Roman officials or the governing authorities of the day. He's teaching it to the people who are committed to following him. He's not here to transform the entire Roman kingdom. He is here to transform the hearts and minds of the people who are committed to him. And so, as citizens of this kingdom, we look to what standards he has set for his people. And we ask ourselves, how can we make this good life real today? Jesus is our great teacher, and he's the one at whose feet we sit. So the first way that we can make this good life real is by being in scripture, by reading it consistently and learning what the desires are of the Lord. And as we learn, our hearts are transformed, our desires are transformed, and our actions flow out of that. Daniel, the young man in The Karate Kid, has broken Mr. Miyagi's one condition to not question his methods. And as Daniel yells at him, Mr. Miyagi's face begins to pulse with anger. I have been teaching you karate. Defend yourself. Miyagi thrusts his arm at Daniel, who instinctively defends himself with an arm motion exactly like that used in one of his chores. Miyagi unleashes a vicious kick, and again, Daniel averts the blow with a motion used in his chores. After Daniel successfully defends himself from several more blows, Miyagi simply walks away, leaving Daniel to discover that the master knew what he was doing the whole time. Miyagi had a different way of teaching than the conventional teachers of his day, and Daniel was transformed by this countercultural teaching. And in the same way, we sit at the feet of Jesus, allowing him to reorient our hearts in an upside-down world. And the longer we sit at his feet learning, the more our desires and actions are transformed. Jesus' teaching was countercultural. He was teaching them about citizenship in the kingdom of God. The second way that we can make the good life real today is by putting into practice the words of Jesus in Matthew's chapters 5, 6, and 7. You've been brought into this kingdom. So how are you to function within it? And he lays that out for us. We're to be salt and light in the world. We're to love our enemies and pray for them. We're to serve the poor and vulnerable in our community. 
We're to remain in a posture of prayer. We're to seek the kingdom of God, even in the smallest details of our life, and by building our foundation on the rock of Jesus Christ. As those who are living in the right-side-up kingdom of God, in a world that is upside-down, we are to live as people of forgiveness, as people of grace, humility, sacrifice, and a world filled with selfishness. And so I have a specific challenge for you this week. I've given you a list of some of the themes that we're going through in this sermon series, and there are many ways to put this into practical application, but specifically, we can make the good life real today by forgiving others. Are there people in your life you're harboring bitterness or unforgiveness or anger towards? And do you believe that Do you believe Jesus is teaching that there is a better way? Do you believe that his way is the best way? And if so, are you willing to submit yourself to that authority and forgive that person who wronged you? Are you willing to give someone your coat when they've asked for your shirt? Christ has a better way for us that is better than any life we could ever imagine. Our wealth Our success in the kingdom of God looks different than the kingdom of this world. And so we ask with a humble curiosity what is asked of me as citizens, as a citizen of the kingdom. So we enter this sermon series in a posture of humility, sitting at the feet of Jesus allowing him to reorient our thoughts and our desires to the way of the kingdom. May we go from this place in the way of kingdom blessing and kingdom success as you live out your new lives as citizens of the kingdom of God. We all have masks on, and we walk around in our world today barely being able to recognize our friends with these masks on, let alone strangers. And when we put our masks on, we're reminded that the world is upside down. It's not how it's supposed to be. But every time we take our masks off, we remember that we are people who have been flipped right side up in an upside down world. Your citizenship has changed. Through the power of the Spirit, we are able to leave this place walking in the newness of life as citizens of the kingdom. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Old South Presbyterian Church in Newburyport, Massachusetts. If you'd like more information about our historic church or you'd like to find out more about the gospel of Jesus, please visit our website at oldsouthnbpt.org. The peace of Christ be with you.